0: We're on a mission from God. Wendy. Philly! That's so I got that going. Darling.
1: Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue.
0: Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I
1: am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on
0: the outside.
2: Welcome to Vintage Video. We're rewatching the '80s, so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly.
0: I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells.
2: And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Somewhere in Time on October 3rd, 1980. It was written by Richard Matheson, based on his novel Bid Time Return, directed by Jeanneau Swark, and released by Universal Pictures. I'm guessing at Jeanneau's name there. I think it's Jeanneau. In 1975. Richard Matheson's bid-time return novel was published. ABC bought the rights for $70,000 plus 5% of profits. Senior VP of Raster Stephen Deutsch fell in love with the story after Matheson's novel won the World Fantasy Award in 1976 and quit his position at Raster to personally oversee the production. Director Jeannot Swark joined the project to escape all the offers to direct effects-heavy films in the wake of his directing Jaws 2, and a distro deal with Universal was signed.
0: Was jaws two FX heavy? <laughs> no, but I think that
2: he got a lot of stuff out of that because it was a blockbuster.
0: Okay, <laughs> I was like, I mean, there's some interesting effects that happened in that movie, but
2: remember when uh, the shark goes back in time?
0: Was, oh, it <laughs> looked at a penny. <laughs> <coughs> Spoiler alert:
2: <laughs> The Christopher Plummer role nearly went to Max von siddow but that's probably true of every role either of them has ever been up for.
0: I always confuse them. Yeah. All the time, and when uh, when I was, I mean, watching- they're both phenomenal. Yeah, so it's
2: not an insult to either one that yeah. I confuse them constantly.
0: And then I got especially frustrated with the girl with the dragon tattoo, in which they are both in. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> well, literally- now it's
2: easier to remember because at least Christopher Plummer is alive, at least as of this recording. In the novel, Richard begins the film dying of a brain tumor, leaving open the possibility that the entire experience of the plot is actually a hallucination. Also in the novel, Richard travels from 1971 to 1896. And the story takes place at the Hotel del Coronado, which we had earlier this year in The Stuntman. We can probably blame director Richard Rush in part for this movie being relocated, because assuming the productions didn't directly overlap, The Hotel del Coronado soured on the idea of hosting filmmakers after their experience with The Stuntman's production.
1: That that makes sense. They totally disrespected that area.
0: (laughs) But it also makes sense from a filming standpoint as far as shifting the dates. Yes. Like, yeah, you don't, we don't, if we're trying to set things in 1971, that's a whole different look for everything. You know? And
2: the script was written by the guy who wrote the book. So yeah. he made the adjustments himself because he, he knew what made sense. The official reason, though, for the relocation to the new hotel was a collection of antennas and power lines that adorned the hotel that could not be removed for the 1912 sequences. As a result, this movie was filmed on location at the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island in Michigan in the check-in lobby of the hotel where the historical artifacts were exhibited in the film it is now home to several props from the film, including Richard's hat and the music box that resembles the hotel. The famous portrait of Elise, however, is not on Mackinac Island at all, but rather on the wall of the Valley Inn restaurant in Sherman Oaks, hmm. where it is now autographed by Jane Seymour.
1: Is it Mackinac Island? I'm pretty sure it's Mackinac Island, isn't it?
2: I'm going to say Mackinac. Okay. <laughs> Mackinac? Because I like being wrong. <laughs> on
0: Mike <and> Ike Island.
2: <laughs> Make fun of me, guys
1: is there is there no i'm just it? Uh, i mean i'm trying to google it it's it's spelled mackinac but in my in my midwestern brain i'm for some reason remembering it as mackinac but oh okay so if you're native to the area you do pronounce it mackinac
2: okay so i'm allowed so to pronounce it mackinac?
1: you can you can pronounce it properly I'm and i will pronounce poser. it i will pronounce it the way i grew up knowing it as I mackinac island <laughs> say it a lot after
0: the production notes it's like a uh, Pierre South Dakota but if you're from there you call it Pierre
1: Well i i remember watching an episode of Law and Order when i was a kid oh, yeah. and, and uh uh the, you know obviously somebody had written into the script because they were familiar with the story that the um the, the lawyer in this episode um had gone to college in Wisconsin and he's like I I went to I went to college in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, like like he was like French or something like that. And we're like, nah, we say Fond du Lac, Yeah.
2: (laughs) which if he'd gone to school there would know that that's how people say it. Yeah, because Mackinac is an island. Bringing cars there required special permission from the city of Mackinac Island, as they are usually prohibited and they could only be driven during filming. The character of Elise McKenna was loosely based on theater actress Maude Adams, different from Maude <laughs> without the e Adams from the James Bond franchise. Adams' agent was also overly protective, but died on the Lusitania when it was torpedoed in World War One. Hmm. The film received an Academy Award nomination for Best Costume Design, which it lost to Tess, and a Golden Globe nomination for Best Original Score. Though critics hated the film, it cost six million to make and made nine point seven back in the U.S but fared far better in asia where it remains one of the highest grossing films in the chinese box office totals when adjusted for inflation the film has developed a fan base called insight which stands for international (laughs) network of somewhere in time enthusiasts formed in 1990 Uh. (laughs) in the month of october the grand hotel hosts a somewhere in time weekend which has become something of an annual insight convention
1: well, I mean, I'm sure that that's adorable and they all dress up and yeah, they enjoy do. the film together. They which have a ball, they,
2: they do screenings, <laughs> and sometimes cast and crew actually come out to speak about the film.
0: <laughs> uh, now I do want to go there and just leave pennies everywhere. <laughs> yeah, specifically <laughs> 1979, to just penny. to
2: screw with everybody. I am reluctant to mention an unauthorized sequel to the novel Memoirs of Elise by David L. Gurney, which tells the story of the years between 1912 and 1980 missing from the film, It's essentially fanfic, and the book is banned from being sold most places due to a copyright claim made by the Matheson estate. But it's mentioned on the Wikipedia and IMDb pages for the film. This film also gets a shout-out in Avengers Endgame, when Ant-Man and War Machine are rattling off examples of pop culture time travel stories. We go back, we get the stones before Thanos gets them. Thanos doesn't have the stones. Problem solved! Bingo. That's not how it works.
1: Well, that's what I heard. Wait, but who? Who told you that?
0: Star Trek, Terminator, Time Cop, Time After Time. Quantum Leap. Wrinkle in Time, Somewhere in Time. Hot Tub Time Machine. Hot Tub Time Machine. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Basically any movie that deals with time travel. Die Hard? No, that's
1: not what <laughs> I would argue, though, that that is inaccurate, though. That this Die Hard is... is not a time travel no, movie? No, that's not what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> that this movie doesn't treat time travel the same as those other movies and that his plan wouldn't work in this in this scenario
2: hmm interesting i disagree okay
1: we shall discuss time travel later and get angry at each other yeah
2: in the in the the joyous history of this podcast where time travel movies are the most infuriating
0: and i was particularly infuriated with this method of time travel
2: and yet you loved it when they did the same stupid shit in final countdown
1: we'll discuss later (laughs) proceed with your notes
2: we fade up from black to millfield college may 1972 the performance of a play has just wrapped richard collier is moving through a crowd accepting congratulatory handshakes from people when an older woman in a headscarf watches from the back row of seats in the room richard tells a crowd of adoring fans that there was an agent in the audience tonight who told him the play might be good enough for a Broadway run. The older woman rises to approach Richard from across the room, and the crowd wordlessly parts to make room for her, including a blink-and-you'll-miss-it appearance from Mr. William H. Macy.
1: Yeah, I did miss it. You had to, like, pull up the shot again. It was there for, like, half a second.
0: Do they know who she is? No, no.
2: but they're watching her silently as she goes mm-hmm. through, like there's some sort of, She's like, just... reverence going on. Although, I mean, she is a famous stage and potentially film actress.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't think so... they identify her. She's just a creepy woman walking towards them (laughs) that's that's enough (laughs) for them to
2: just be like holy shit get out of the way get out of the way uh she taps richard on the back and when he turns he seems transfixed by her she closes his hand around a gold pocket watch and pleads come back to me before turning to walk away richard is astonished to find this beautiful watch in his hands but tells the crowd i've never seen that woman in my life we cut to the woman smiling in the back seat of a fancy car behind a chauffeur driving her away they arrive at the grand hotel and the older woman wanders to her room A younger woman asks if she enjoyed the play, but she doesn't answer, as she closes the doors to the entry hall behind her. She walks to a record player, puts on Rachmaninoff's Rhapsody on a Theme of Paganini, which I only recognize because Phil Connors plays the start of it in Groundhog Day. Mm -hmm. She looks out the window at the light in the bay, and then down at the playbill for the Millfield College workshop presentation of Richard Collier's "Too Much Spring."
0: This is one of those instances, like where I'm watching the movie and I go, "Oh, who's this actress?" And then you know, because I'm like, I was like, oh, "I don't know this movie." Yeah. I, I, I should, I should preface, I don't know this movie. Um, this is
2: my first time seeing it too.
0: And I was like, "Oh, so who played this actress?" what's her character? Is the older woman? Is like, "Oh, older Elise." I was like, "Oh, well." <laughs> That's
2: not that much of a spoiler.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess I could have figured... When she says, come fi- back to me and hands him a watch. You figure it
1: out pretty darn quick.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this was like this was like one of those things. But also, I wanted to... What was the reason for such a large time gap between when he gets the watch... I think that's how long it took her to find him. No, 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 quick, no, no. no She gives him the she watch.
1: Gives him, she, he gets the watch in 1971, and he doesn't figure it out until 1979.
2: Oh, why? Why it took eight years for him to yes. figure it out?
1: That's or, what you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. so like yeah. it,
0: it just immediately cuts to eight years later, and I was like, "But why?" I, gu- I guess. To, why to, couldn't this
2: have happened the next day?
0: Well, or no, maybe maybe a year later, but eight years seems like a really long time. I think time.
2: It, they wanted to give him enough time to have an established career as a mm. playwright.
0: I and guess I think eight
2: years is enough time for that because we see as soon as we do the eight years forward, we see playbills for like his three big shows. Right. Right so by my math we're in 1980 now though that we've gone eight years forward from 72 so even though in film production you they seem to always forget that the year that they're shooting it isn't the year that the movie comes out Mm -hmm. so like it it says 1979 on everything but it's 1980 now okay we pan across a collection of richard collier's playbills too much spring is joined here by passionate apathies and of course i love you don't i question mark (laughs) (laughs) which is my favorite title of the three no
1: desire to see any of these plays (laughs) i want
2: to see that one of course i love you don't i (laughs) we see richard in his office and he picks up a phone and slams it back down he tears a page out of his typewriter and he packs some bags and leaves the apartment he runs into a friend in the elevator who asks when the play will be done
0: i don't know oh my god richard there are people waiting for that play
2: richard says he's going on vacation and later has to specify he's going alone as he's just broken up with his girlfriend he drives a convertible out to the grand hotel he almost passes it but then puts it in reverse to pull into the parking lot a bellhop named arthur carries richard's luggage up to his room and he says he's worked here since 1910
1: so he had no intent to seek anything out here he was just trying to like get away from the world right yeah
2: um does that mean that the child that we'll see later has been an employee of the hotel for two years?
1: Well, I
0: think he... he
1: no, he moved there with his father so in So he says, I've been here since 1910. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Not I worked here since 1910. Right, right. Yeah. Maybe although, I have oh, that quote wrong. Uh,
0: although it is 1910, and I'm sure child labor laws were probably yeah. like, oh, just have your son taken up. It'll be good experience for We him. have this
2: <laughs> child here. He'll start your cigarette for you so you don't even have to light it. <laughs> Shiny <laughs> shoes, mister? Uh, his father was a desk clerk, apparently. Arthur shows him to his room before leaving, and turns for a moment to ask, "Have we ever met before?" I don't believe so. No, I suppose not.
0: I was going to say it's kind of. I feel kind of bad for Arthur. Is like my father was a desk clerk. I never could make it to desk clerk. Just still about yeah. up. <laughs> one Aww. day, he's I more hope. than that. <laughs> it reminds me of the. Uh, who's the actor who plays a, uh, uh, old blue in Old School? Oh, uh, uh, we ha- we had him a couple times. In uh, Blanky. Cranshaw. Yeah. Uh, in Hudsucker Proxy where he's like the mail in the mail room is like how long have you been here 50 years.
2: <laughs> <laughs> in the hotel lobby Richard inspects an exhibit with items under plexiglass and framed newspaper clippings he seems very interested spooked even he slowly turns to a portrait on the far wall and approaches it slowly it's a young Elise McKenna played by Jane Seymour and the score comes in heavy here Richard rushes out not an intentional Richard Rush reference <laughs> Uh, Richard rushes out to Arthur to ask about the portrait because the nameplate under it has been removed, but we never explain this.
0: Yes! I was so frustrated. <laughs> I was like, are we going to get a scene where like he pries it off or Somebody's something? Somebody's upset about something. Yeah. He's
1: just like, I
2: love her so much, and he pries it off and eats it. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know why it would but, be.
1: But also... W- why not just have her nameplate there? Why do we have to go to the trouble of going to ask Arthur about it? But but also- it Well, was, I
2: think it was to involve Arthur and to connect it back to the past, but he could just as easily have been, who was Elise McKenna to Arthur? Yeah. yeah. But no, I guess he had enough information at that point that he could go look it up himself.
0: But it was also removed what seems to be relatively recently. Because there,
2: there's, there's an like outline. a shape where yeah. it used to be. Yeah. Eh. I don't
1: know. Mm.
2: Oh, you know what? I have an explanation and we'll get to it later.
1: Oh,
0: okay.
2: Arthur says it's Elise McKenna. She was quite an actress in her day, even starred in a play here at the Hotel Theater. Arthur gestures down to a theater building by the lake and says that the play he's referring to was performed in 1912. He just right off the top of his head recalls this
1: yeah, what's it was like seven-year-old or six-year-old knows exactly what yeah. play was happening it's yeah. like
2: is this the only actress that has ever performed here or do you remember all of them why do you have a picture of just her on the wall for it, one show
0: and it's particularly insulting later than that, that he starts to go to do research in a library it's just yeah. like no no, well, no talk you, to arthur you just got arthur here just to... knows everything
2: <laughs> richard moves back to the portrait and stares captivated with tears in his eyes We cut back and forth from him restless in bed to him suited up staring at the picture and i think we're supposed to understand that the picture is keeping him up at night but it looks like he's actually walking down to look at her over and over again yeah Yeah. although he only planned on staying the one night richard changes gears he yanks his suitcase out of the car and tells arthur to take it back up to the room and asks for directions to the nearest library before peeling out he looks through countless books for any references to elise mckenna he bothers the librarian to find him old entertainment magazines
1: I'm super bothered by him uh, bothering the librarian for this because he is not specific. Yeah. He's just like any old, you know, magazines that, you know, might be about interesting. This is a library, like, sir. Come we on. have a lot of stuff. We have to be more specific here. Just tell her the goddamn name of the actress you're interested in and she could probably cross-reference which specific magazines you're looking for because she went she goes to the trouble to find these magazines and then immediately he just like tosses several aside like not this one not this one not this one i'm like this is the one like you jerk she could have saved her a lot of time
0: (laughs) there's also a lot of really crazy uh not crazy but there's a lot of uh, over-the-shoulder shots for Christopher Reeve. Yeah. And you just just get a, a sense of how built Christopher Reeve is. Oh, my he, God. Yeah, he's huge. <laughs> he's such a big guy. He's still doing Superman at this point. Yeah. And, and it's just like there's there's a shot where it's over his shoulder and he turns around and he's just like, it's widescreen, but he is the whole. He fills the s- entire frame <laughs> with his shoulders. <laughs>
2: <laughs> at last, he finds a picture that confirms his suspicions. This is the woman who gave him the pocket watch. Under the photo are the words, Elise McKenna. This was the last photograph taken of her, which obviously implies that she's dead, but the wording seems strange to me. Usually this kind of thing would read, this is the last known photograph. Weirder still is the choice of tense, this was the last photograph. (laughs) Every photograph of you was the last photograph of that person until the next photograph. (laughs) Maybe simplify even further, the last photograph of Elise McKenna. Richard parks outside a home in the rain. Apparently, he found the address of the author of this book that he was just flipping through. He tells her how much he enjoyed her book and that he's here in search of information about Elise McKenna. She seems weirdly reluctant to share information on a deceased actress. He claims that he's planning to write a play on her life and the lady tries to close the door on him. When he admits that it's actually something more personal than that, this is where you should close the door on the guy because he lied for no reason and now she's interested.
1: But so I don't really ever understand why she's so secretive about her.
2: I think that it's not specified in the movie and I haven't read the book so I can't say if it's specified in the book. This might be his daughter. She's a woman who lived with Elise McKenna and wrote all this stuff about her. We never get into it but my suspicion was that we were going to find that out and then we never find it out. But she's very protective of Elise's information and she may have been given the impression by the robinson character not to trust anybody with her stuff
1: yeah okay maybe
2: but uh it's not it's not made clear in the movie
1: well it i
0: i feel like you have a you have something there yeah because why else does she seems to be in charge of her estate
2: right and she also potentially could have been the person who took the name off of the thing because she didn't want she didn't want him to have information to go off of to come and find her He presents the watch that Elise gave him and she recognizes it immediately. Where did you get that?
0: Well, she gave it to me, ma'am. At the opening night of a play that I wrote at Millfield College about eight years ago.
2: The woman tells him how important the watch was to her and that it disappeared the night she died. So I guess this is the moment where she's realizing this is someone who is important to Elise. He can come in. But eventually she gives in and she leads him to this at-home exhibit of props from her life like she has a whole like museum of elise mckenna in here
0: and among her possessions was a book written by his college professor right and she says
2: there's a whole another can of worms there yeah it's like
0: she read that book a lot it's like wait hold on (laughs) (laughs) like did he i was like so i kept waiting for him to mention in one of their conversations like i'm getting into spoilers a little bit like a professor or something like that 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 she would seek this book out in yeah. particular.
2: there's, there's, Yeah, there's problems moving forward. Uh, Miss Roberts, the author of the book that Richard found, has kept a collection of Elisa's belongings, including a dress that she performed in. Richard asks what she was like, and Miss Roberts says, people who knew her when she was young said she was quick and bright and full of fun, but apparently something happened in 1912 specifically that changed her, nothing to do with the Titanic. <laughs> but that did happen that year also. Uh, and she seemed very empty after that. Miss Roberts points out a framed photo of Elise's manager, William Robinson, and Richard asks if he was really estranged strange as her book suggested. Richard notices a book on her shelf and recognizes the author as his philosophy teacher, Dr. Finney. So he's not even like a physicist. He's a philosophy yeah. teacher uh, from Millfield. The philosophy of time travel. Yeah. Getting some Donnie Darko uh, stuff. Uh, Rose, uh, what was her name? Uh, uh, Roberta Sparrow. Roberta Sparrow, there you go. The character of Finney is based on author Jack Finney, whose novel Time and Again, published five years before Matheson's Bid Time Return, features an almost identical theory on the mechanics of time travel. Miss Roberts says, Elise read that book over and over. When he turns it in his hands, we see the title is Travels Through Time. Next, he inspects a small-scale model of the hotel on a table by the window. It turns out this model is also a small music box, and it plays the Rachmaninoff piece from earlier. It's my favorite music in the whole world. I don't understand what's happening. (laughs) He's like having a little panic attack here. Richard goes to speak with Dr. Finney on the Millfield campus. He asks the guy point blank, I have a question for you, sir. Shoot. Is time travel possible? That is a question. He takes Richard aside and tells him a bizarre story. It occurred to him at some point that he might be able to hypnotize himself into another time. What, I asked myself, if I attempted to hypnotize my mind? Suggest to it that it wasn't 1971, but 1571. I closed my eyes and fed a suggestion into my brain. It's August, 1571. I'm in the Hotel Del Vecchio, and I spelled out the details, and I did it over and over and over, again and again and again. Though he can't recall much of the results of the experiment, except that he felt exhausted afterward, it did work for a fraction of an instant. Though even in the past, objects from the present were visible. The doctor suggests that if he were to ever reattempt it, he would remove all modern objects from sight.
1: Can we talk about that for a little bit?
2: Yeah, sure.
1: <laughs> okay, so this whole concept is a little crazy. Yeah. Because... Yeah, if you manage to hypnotize yourself, of course you're gonna think it's the year you hypnotized yourself yeah. to.
2: It is very convincing. It's this very is exactly convincing. how I pictured it.
1: And how does he know that it worked for a fraction of the second? Yeah. Like that doesn't make any sense whatsoever.
0: Uh, this this is akin to the South Park episode of Cartman wanting to go back to the Revolutionary War uh and by way of cheating by knocking himself out while thinking about the revolutionary war so he would somehow appear there yeah (laughs) and i was like i "I, I, I don't get how this is time travel necessarily i is his body still in that's
2: that's a question i have (laughs) yeah does your body exist the whole time and is it motionless is this like
0: are you well?
1: I think that then you're implying that everything was a dream or in your head the whole time.
0: Well, in both instances, he's <laughs> in the then, wrong rooms. Yeah, w- it's both weird. his his travel <laughs> to and his return from. He's in the wrong rooms. Well, the
2: travel to he's he shows up in the room that he left, he left 1970 in 1970 from or Pr-
1: 1980. You know, but, from. Yeah. Right, but yeah. not the room he belonged in in right. the past. Yeah. But so presumably. She was reading this professor's book because she figured out somewhere along the way that he existed in time in a later time. So
2: Yeah, but what could possibly have given her that implication? Well,
1: she's she she probably researched him to be like, "How did you figure out how to do time travel?" Mm-hmm. discovered like looked at How did she
2: know that he ever did time travel?
1: because well, we she figured out that she he saw that she, she figured out that he existed in in 1980 or 1971 how, how would she know that i don't know how she figured it out i'm just saying that she figured out that he was in 1971 and she's like oh shit i gotta research this guy figure out how he did time travel so we could like fix this but
0: she he he
1: died she dies yeah but she researched him before she went to him that's true because she figured out that he was doing this play and brought him the watch and stuff like that. So before that, she figured this out, researched him, got figured out that he had a professor that mm-hmm. talks about time travel, and read that guy's book over and over to figure out how to do it, right?
2: Yeah, it's it's going to be hard to discuss the film without spoiling a bunch of stuff. Sorry. Yeah. Well, no, I mean... <laughs>
0: uh, I... I, I part of the problem i have later on is when they're when they're on out on their dates and they're talking but it's well i don't want to
2: get too far out of order no no i understand but
0: but you can't hear what they're talking about
2: yes so that is annoying
0: and and so i can only assume that at some point he mentioned attending millfield college which maybe even existed at the time and i just assume she just kept showing up at to every college
2: well there's one clear clue that he leaves that he's a time traveler okay clue Clearer than the Millfield College thing. All right. But we'll get to it. Unless he also dropped that penny. We don't know.
0: No, he, he, kept, the penny came back with him. It came back with him. Okay. Because
2: then he... there, then there's one other thing that would be a very clear, obvious clue to her.
0: What,
1: disappearing? No. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> if he disappeared in fucking <laughs> quantum leap blue what light. That's what it seemed like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: We don't know what happened because we don't get her point of view for that. Richard heads to a suit shop to buy something specifically from around 1912. Apparently the guy doesn't do a great job because he'll get picked on for this later. And then he cuts his own hair in a more era accurate turn of the century style. He, He also stops into a coin shop, which apparently there was an actual like, there was a coin shop in this little village in on the mackinac huh, island that convenient. he went to which is now called the somewhere in time shop or something oh. like that but he doesn't even sell coins anymore so when people come because they're like oh this is the place for the movie right and they're confused because he doesn't sell coins anymore but
1: just at least keep some like different <laughs> I, yeah. pennies of yeah, just, yeah. the era just
2: 1979 pennies <laughs> he introduces himself to an imaginary elise mckenna a couple times in the mirror good evening miss mckenna you don't know me but you will and then he steps over to a desk in the room and gets right to the business of hypnotizing himself back in time he says a time date and location into a microphone and plays it back to himself on a tape deck he takes down all the art and hides all the loose change to avoid tainting the delusion though two problems remain visible the lights over the headboard look very modern Mm -hmm. and there's also a decidedly inaccurate tape deck playing (laughs) in the middle of the room
1: yeah, I, I was concerned also about the wall outlets that you could see occasionally. I'm like, I yeah. don't know what they looked like in 1912, but I, I suspect guess, they're slightly different.
2: As long as you're minimizing the mm. visuals, then it's okay. But the tape deck on the bed is right, probably right. an issue.
1: Right, It is a glaring problem.
0: <laughs> uh, there's an important scene, though, where he's going through the coins and sorting them out.
2: Right. Where he's trying to get all the older coins. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to have a bunch of 1912 coins, like, not enough to to pay for what he pays for when he goes back in time i
1: well, was bothered that he didn't have any bills from the era yeah well
0: like, we, we, yeah we, like we don't know exactly how much he got but I because i mean it's expensive to buy coins from that era did you ever read
2: the stephen king book about the jfk assassination
0: uh, i know them i know about the series that they 11, made about 20, yeah 11
2: 22 63 but yeah part of the the story of it is that the main character goes to this diner and the guy that runs the diner says there's this portal in the back and it leads to the 60s and it turns out that he's been using money and going back in time to buy his product the meat Mm. and then he sells it in the in the future oh, so that it's so, it's much, so cheaper. much cheaper when he goes back in time <laughs> so he's been using like old money to go back in time and buy all this meat and then he brings it back to the future and he's like it's funny because i'm going back to the same day so i've been serving the same meat like literally the same piece of meat mm-hmm. to all of my customers and that's how i keep a low overhead is because my meat is insanely cheap here I,
0: I like that he doesn't use it for nefarious purposes just for the purposes of yeah of bringing servicing. down his overhead <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah um that's an interesting uh book though i didn't i didn't care for the the series as much but the book was really good he lays down in the bed and he relaxes to the sound of his own voice looping the details of the past he seems to struggle with the process for hours and we fade forward in time over and over he's going the wrong direction (laughs) and much slower than planned technically speaking we have no idea if he's gone back in time because we don't know for sure how different this room looked in 1912 Uh, Eventually he loses his patience and slams the stop button on the tape deck before heading back downstairs to look at her picture again. He notices the old guest registry under the glass in the lobby and then he runs down to Arthur's bungalow again pounding on the door and windows and he asks where all the stuff from under the glass in the lobby came from a question that would have confused me more than it does arthur <laughs> it's a guest registry for the hotel it came from here it's, yeah it's been there for a long time i guess uh but arthur knows exactly what richard meant where were these things kept in the building before they were put here and he says oh they're they're from up in the attic
1: but this seems crazy to me because if you as the hotel have discovered these artifacts from the history of the hotel and you find them so precious that you put them under glass why would you leave the rest of them in the attic
2: i would get it if they just put the first one under the glass to be like this is literally our first guest registry Mm. but i don't think we ever see the year on it so i don't know why he doesn't know that this is the correct registry i felt like what i thought was going to happen was he was just going to shatter the glass and start flipping through it but that's not what happens uh, well, the Arth-
1: hotel's older than 1912. With right. The sign we passed at the beginning says, like, established yeah, 1886 or something. Yeah, and
2: Arthur's been there since 1910, so clearly it's, it's older than that. Arthur points him to the attic and presumably gives him a key and a flashlight to explore it, because this area has to be off-limits to customers, I would assume. Uh, he finds a listing for Elise McKenna on the date that he's shooting for, and then he closes his eyes to pray as he turns the page and finds his own name listed in room 416 the next day. He goes back to his room, and he starts reciting the destination to himself, without the tape deck this time, and including the detail of room 416. We see a quick shot of the light fluttering outside his hotel room window for a moment. As he tilts his head, eyes closed, to look around the room, the furnishings of the past room are superimposed over his own. He wakes up in the morning, and we focus on a picture on the wall. He seems weakened by the transportation. He hears a woman singing what sounds to me like you made me love you which indicates that he already screwed up because that's a popular al jolson song from 1913 so he showed up about a year late
1: um i like the transition moment because i was wondering um as we're in the the hotel room in 79 or 80 whatever year we're in um he's he's on a bedspread that i don't think looks very 1912-esque mm-hmm. yeah. and i was like how are, are we gonna transition this scene and the pillow in the chair that he awakens in in 1912 has the same pattern on it
2: yeah he hides in a nearby closet and spies on the woman walking around the room in her bloomers or whatever they called them he tries to sneak out the door just as someone enters and Richard hides behind a chair in the room while the couple argues.
0: The, again, very odd because he is such a large man <laughs> that, that you would not notice that there's a large figure looming in your room. Yeah. And he's even talking, muttering to himself Yeah, as the guy says, well, perhaps I'll leave. It's like, yeah, well, that'd that's be a, a great good idea. <laughs> uh,
2: they step into a separate bedroom for a moment and Richard sneaks out the door, but when they hear it close... The man comes out to the hallway and richard says oh some kid was trying to get in your room i, I would have reported myself but and the guy just slams the door in his face like i don't want to hear it
0: a very clark kent moment yeah
2: <laughs> i'm curious how his name will wind up in the registry as a guest in the already occupied room but i guess uh we'll get to that
0: well it's, it's not occupied it's right not, this isn't his room.
2: this
1: isn't Is his room yeah. yeah yeah
2: but i thought he was sending himself to 416
1: he was sending himself to the past he's in the same physical place he is now and he wasn't in 416 in the, yeah. in the present
2: but when he was reciting to himself he said room 416
1: we travel through time not space
2: but when <laughs> but when his professor did it he was able to transport himself to the hotel del vecchio from his own office
1: was he, uh, he was no he hotel. was in the hotel was
2: he in the hotel yeah he was in okay. the hotel. then you do have to be in the same spot. which is
0: okay. also crazy to think that there's a hotel hotels from the 1500s
1: it's venice it's been around a while
2: (laughs) he marches directly over to room 117 to inquire about miss mckenna but the woman inside says she isn't there and can't give any information he takes the elevator to the lobby where he encounters a young boy throwing a ball around his father the desk clerk reminds him not inside arthur richard returns arthur's ball and heads down to the theater they're getting ready for the opening tonight and everybody is working very frantically this doesn't stop Richard from interrupting every part of the process, including a dress rehearsal on the stage to ask everyone where Miss McKenna is. They all stop and look annoyed, but nobody answers him. Backst- I wouldn't answer him either. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Like, what? I was like, get the hell out of here. Guy. Backstage, he knocks on a random dressing room door, the wrong one, and a large woman answers with a pink wig and speaking French, or maybe pink hair.
1: Yeah, I was surprised, because uh, she has pink hair throughout the film, and I yeah. was like, did people have pink hair in 1912? Sure. It's all
0: black and white. I can't... <laughs> yeah color
2: wasn't invented until the 40s <laughs> when he tells her he's looking for mckenna she answers most likely walking by the lake dear," and he leaves to find her outside he sees her slowly following a path around the water and when she sees him they lock eyes she's just as shocked to see him as vice versa when he gets closer she asks an odd question
1: is it you is it-
0: yes a
2: man interrupts their moment to take her to dinner her gentleman companion asks who the man was and what they spoke about before he arrived she turns to look back and he tells her to go ahead in and that he'll have a chat with richard the man with her is her manager robinson and he asks richard not to bother her any further when they get closer to the hotel elise turns back to confirm that richard is still following them which he is in the hotel restaurant he tells the maitre d that he's here with miss mckenna and he starts wandering around the room looking for her the woman in the pink wig or hair sees him and points him in Elise's direction. Richard cuts in on a dance with her, and when she tries to step away, he says, no, please, you have no idea how far I've come to be with you, which seems like a red flag, but somehow this changes her mind.
0: Well, there's also a weird bit where some guy says, isn't that the guy who performed some some part? And I was like, is he going to tra- travel again? Is there going to be more time travel? Because It was, oh, such, a, it was such a weird thing to say uh like yeah he, he call he refers to him like as have, having played a part in, a, in another play i guess it's just supposed to be confusion of who it was yeah but in a movie like this where we've already had a character who confused him for another person because he actually did meet him yeah it seems to stand out yeah
2: that is weird
1: maybe something else was cut mm. who knows
2: they dance for a moment before robinson instructs a hotel employee to eject this intruder from the property
0: yeah <laughs> sorry that's just so funny because i use the exact same eject. phrase in my notes that yes i have him ejected
2: yeah uh elise decides to follow him out and robinson asks are you sure you want to do this she is though she only follows him as far as the next room she asks for information <laughs> about him and upon learning that he's a playwright assumes that he's here after her celebrity
1: sorry but you said that i was like i can only take you as far as the lobby <laughs> <laughs> except
2: from uh, muppet, muppet caper, caper. yeah he tells her that he isn't here just to hire her and he asks if he looks so dangerous when she says no he asks why did you ask is it you earlier and she can't answer him
1: but we never explain this
2: we kind of do no we don't we kind of do but it still doesn't make sense that she asked it she explains what she thought no
1: no i know that she what, what i know what she explains there's but, no reason she
2: would say this to him out loud
1: correct there's no reason that she would wonder this out loud in any reasonable way like it's just it, it doesn't make any sense yeah. because she doesn't presume that this person is out of the ordinary i i don't know why she's struck by him when she first encounters him
2: yeah she could feel it emotionally it's she can destiny
0: feel
1: it. okay <laughs>
0: density
2: <laughs> you are my density She returns to the party and can't say when they'll see each other next. In her room, Robinson promises to keep an eye on the young man, and she asks Robinson if he is the one, and he replies, is he? Only you can tell for certain. Despite being escorted out of the building yesterday- Why also,
1: sorry, why is that true? Why is she the one that can tell? Because because, he's the one that told her.
2: Well, we have to spoil this then. I'm sorry. The reason why is because Robinson told her that a man would come along that she would fall for and she would leave her career for. And so that's, she's the only person who can say.
1: I don't think that's exactly what they said, though.
2: Well, that seems like that's no, what Robinson says. Because
1: Robinson said, a man will come along who will change your life. Uh, that he, He's not more. Well, we spe- don't know how
2: more specific he got I, because we don't you I see guess the conversation with we're her. we're not
1: more specific. But like, I don't know. There's there's no indication that any of this is, um, I don't know, uh, surreal or science fiction.
0: Well, yeah. So I, I will say that I took his at this point of the film, I took what their conversation to mean was he had foreknowledge or is a time traveler himself. Right. Or is maybe even somehow connected to this whole event and has been waiting for this moment to happen because of a conversation we'll get to in here in a, in a couple of minutes. Uh, but then by the end, when he explains himself fully, I go i felt i guess red herring is the best way to describe this sure
2: i i mean i agree with you i thought from the get-go that he was also a time traveler but he didn't have romantic intentions he had intentions of stardom Mm -hmm. would be the difference but yeah i i I think he took her aside and he said you're gonna leave this this line of work for a man and he's going to ruin your career and so it's weird that when she sees this guy she says is it you are you the guy that i'm going to do that with and it's like you wouldn't ask that person directly you would just worry in your head that this is the guy that he was talking about
1: is this is this play in 1912 the last one she does no No, she goes on to a storied career so the prophecy isn't even true i don't get this
2: (laughs) yeah but i mean her career is ruined he changes her life by she's a shell of her former self moving forward and she doesn't succeed in the way that she would have had he never shown up i
1: guess that's true so
2: he's ruining her life by going back in time to see her wonderful despite being escorted out of the building yesterday richard is for whatever reason allowed to sleep on the hotel patio and wanders <laughs> right back up to Elise's room in the morning she's there this time he asks her on four or five dates in a row and she turns them all down and he asks her please call him richard not mr collier and finally if she'd be willing to go on a walk with him His increasing volume might wake her roommate, so she ultimately agrees to a walk at 1 p.m.
1: I wouldn't call her maid a roommate.
2: (laughs) I would. Seven hours from now, 1 p.m., we're going to go on a walk. Outside the hotel, and she slams the door in his face. Robinson sees Richard having lunch and joins him at his table. Richard confirms for Robinson that he is a playwright, but also that it's irrelevant to his intentions with Elise. Why are you here? Without a straight answer from Richard, robinson intends to involve the law in their disagreement though it's not clear what charges could be leveled at anyone here
1: i also think that honestly that if you're approaching Elise as a playwright it's actually probably more honorable than uh, you know as a love interest if if you're just at least in this day and age yeah (laughs) Well,
0: well there's also this interesting line of questioning in that he he's after money or he's after her fame and 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 richard himself says I, I don't think that you believe that's true yeah because we're, again we're hammering home that this robinson has some kind of information yeah about richard and is aware of his coming yeah
2: richard moves inside to rent a room proper before the desk clerk can help him he steals arthur's ball away and puts it under his desk where it will do less damage at first richard is handed the key to 420 and is worried because he's straight edge and he doesn't smoke marijuana. <laughs> or because the register placed him in 416. And when he asks, Are you sure this is the right key? Another employee corrects, Oh, that room's reserved. Here, take 416. He starts to sign himself in, and the desk clerk rotates the book to timestamp the registry. And Richard prompts him, nine eighteen 18 a.m., which is what he recalls from having looked at the book 68 years from now. After checking in, I kind of want him to just like scribble it out after he did it, like, ha, yeah. I changed <laughs> time. I have free will.
1: It just, it, it bothers me a little bit. And I, I guess we could talk about it more later. But all of these moments, he is recalling the future. Yeah. So he is constantly aware that he is in the past and from the future. It's not as though he has, you know, tricked himself into totally believing he is in the past. Yes.
2: Yeah. so he doesn't, he didn't forget the future. You're right. Correct. Yeah. So you would think that even just remembering that he was in four sixteen would be enough information from the to future to send him out of
1: whatever out. this method of time travel is. That makes is. sense.
0: And, and and I guess it doesn't count for objects that are from the past, and still in the future. The, yeah, like the registry. Yeah,
2: or the watch. After checking in, Richard sees Arthur crying and discreetly returns the ball. Arthur
1: Before, is going to get in trouble. Yeah, he is. Because like his dad's he goes just back to the future and it. arthur's just dead oh, no. He's Like,
2: oh yeah the the desk clerk went nuts and killed his son here in 1912 there's <laughs> no, still blood on corrected the carpet. he
0: corrected him <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: before meeting with elise he shaves in a restroom and he comes out with bits of tissue all over his face where he cut himself shaving uh one gentleman seems very surprised by this as he comes out of the restroom and this is uh matheson the author of the novel and the screenplay oh richard meets with elise just after one outside and they are quickly set upon by robinson but escape in a horse and carriage on their blurry walk they visit with picnickers and painters down by the water their conversations are all muted so we don't know what information changes hands here
0: yeah and that's really frustrating yeah because what could because he would have to be so careful yeah Yeah.
2: how do you not give yourself away yeah like you could just fit in flawlessly in the 1912 uh, crowd that seems impossible They stroll down to a lighthouse elise says that she's guarded with her emotions on account of her profession and she also explains that her is it you comment was a result of robinson telling her that one day she would meet a man who would change her life now i'm guessing that robinson was described as bizarre by mrs roberts earlier and as a sort of fortune teller by elise here because he is someone else from the future though i'm not quite sure who yet they row a canoe across the lake bay i I guess i'm not sure what this is I think someone calls it a lake at one point. I
1: think we're still in the Chicago area,
2: so it would be a lake because
1: he seems to just have taken off in his car and just Mm -hmm. randomly drove, and then it's just like, oh, like a hotel. Like, I'll stay here. This is pretty, but so I assume they're still near Lake Michigan-ish. Yeah. Um, but it kind of bothers me that he's probably somewhere in the vicinity of Chicago for this, you know, potential hotel that he is visiting because then it is not impressive that he has come a long way to see her, because he then tells her he's from Chicago, so it's like, oh, what, you came a few miles to see me?
2: Yeah, good job, buddy. Um, as they're rowing across this lake, Richard hums a bit of Rachmaninoff's Rhapsody on a Theme in Paganini, which, oopsie time loopsie, wasn't written until 1934, so he's causing a Marvin Berry situation here.
0: But also should immediately travel to 1934 or that's true or be sucked back because he's remembering something that hasn't happened yet right
2: but i think that is supposed to be the clue for her that he's a time traveler
0: oh.
1: when she hears
2: that song later and she goes this is a huge famous work that was clearly written in 1934 this guy knew it 20 something years earlier yeah he's from the future
1: that makes sense because she does identify with the song because she right. puts it into she the, puts it the music, in the music box. box so that makes sense
2: the horse and carriage pull away leaving them eventually at a gazebo on the hotel grounds the bit of tissue paper from where richard cut himself shaving has changed sizes multiple times over the course of this whole date montage i don't shave often but typically i thought you just pull the tissue off when the cut stops bleeding finally elise wipes it off his face and asks the time just as they're about to kiss she sees his beautiful pocket watch and says it's lovely where did you get it it was given to me god damn it I hate when time loop stories do this and they introduce a prop that cannot be explained. I knew it! This you were watch has no origin. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it! It's like our argument about Final Countdown, where a thing is introduced to a time loop that could never have started, which makes it not a time loop. Evidently, the paradox that I take issue with actually has a name it's called the ontological or bootstraps paradox go ahead and google that listeners because it's actually a fascinating read but we don't have the hours
0: to spare in the yeah. middle of this review yeah because i'm I, at this point i was wondering wait how many thousands of years old is this yeah wouldn't now? it be
2: falling apart like i would love for them to do like uh what is that called where you where you test something to see how old it is like uh
1: carbon dating
2: carbon dating on this yeah. watch and be like oh it's millennia old
1: but i knew it like the second the second this thing was introduced that way i'm you like you can't just hand it back to her Patrick's going to be furious cuz then it doesn't
2: even have to be a golden watch <laughs> it doesn't matter where it came from because i gave it to you and then you gave it to me so whatever but yeah what th-
0: year is the watch from yeah you got to take it apart watch, to figure it out
2: is the watch era appropriate they've handed <laughs> it back and forth for millennia and no one ever dropped it or nicked it in any way but it is possible that this is not a perfect loop which means to me that at some point one of them bought this watch for the other one yeah as a gift and since then they've been handing it back and forth
1: hmm. sure
2: that's what i think that this that there's there was a branch off of the regular timeline that caused this loop and now they're in this loop yeah. of handing it back and forth. she
1: did want to buy him a suit could have come with a watch
2: right and it's not a perfect loop and eventually this watch is going to break down and fall apart and then won't we'll be able to hand it back and forth anymore elise says that she should go rest up before her performance tonight their group leaves tomorrow he follows her to her room and they kiss before robinson is knocking at the door elise and robinson fight for a bit and richard leaves we cut to elise performing on stage she's complaining to a housekeeper about the man her father has chosen as a husband suddenly it seems like she's off script as her co-star and people on stage look perplexed by her words she's speaking softer now and directly to richard in the audience about a man so perfect for her that she must have created him in her mind, she ends by professing her love to either Richard or the man in the story of the play. Either way, Robinson is enraged just off stage by the performance.
1: I, I'm I, enraged by the performance because you won't be able to hear her whispering. You have to project in the theater. Yeah, unacceptable. Uh,
0: I, I also <laughs> like that Robinson like sits on a throne just off During the stage. yes, yeah. yes, that's how important he is. <laughs> um, also, are we then to believe that? elise has a hypnosis power that allowed her to conjure richard is richard not even real he's
2: not even a person is this
0: the twilight zone where keenan Wynn is talking about people in his uh, tape recorder and brings <laughs> yeah. them to life
2: <laughs> but the audience breaks into applause at the end of the moment and the cast and crew look relieved that she didn't screw anything up monumentally robinson chews her out from behind the curtains for the changes she made to the scene and she's hurried to a bench backstage to pose for a photograph just as the photographer has everything ready richard barges in and she smiles the smile from the photo in the future lobby the face that he was mesmerized by and a smile that has been for him all along after the intermission richard is handed a note by the usher during the second half of the play it reads sir i must speak to you immediately this is a matter of life and death so do not fail me i am waiting in the gazebo behind the theater wj robinson
0: now This was another hint to me that he was a time traveler. Yes. Because of this draconian script that he wrote this letter (laughs) in.
2: And that it's a matter of life and death. It's like, I know what's going to happen in the future and I can help you prevent it. Or I'm just going to kill you, which is what I also read it as. At the gazebo, Robinson shares with Richard all the work that he's put into making Elise, the actress that she is today. Richard guesses that he had intentions of marriage and Robinson is insulted. All he's wanted for her was superstardom. And Richard apologizes for misjudging Robinson, but assures him that he isn't going anywhere and she will continue to act, even with him. As he returns to the theater from the gazebo, he is gut-punched by a pair of Robinson's goons and never makes it back to the theater. Not believable. That they would be able to take him? <laughs> yeah. because yeah, he's nine feet tall. <laughs> Elise ditches the curtain call to look for Richard herself when Robinson arrives to tell her that he is gone. Not knowing where this goes, I'm suddenly suspecting that they have murdered Richard and will never technically see him any further in the (laughs) future since we had no idea if he makes it back or not. Elise tells Robinson she loves Richard and he will make her very happy and Robinson leaves haunted by this. We cut to Richard, still alive, though bound and gagged in a horse stable. He wriggles free of his bindings and races back to the hotel to catch Elise, but the company has left the hotel. It's probably possible to look into where they were going, but instead he just mopes around he outside. Knows. Yeah, they're going to Denver. They told
1: her; that she told him Denver. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, pack Time up. Go we're to going, going to Denver. Yeah. Like- <laughs>
0: <laughs> I want to get me an omelet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. Perfect. <laughs> this is a bad joke. Uh, I also wanted to point out that. Uh, uh, per- perhaps uh, the time continuum was already starting to fall apart here because while he's walking around outside, all the American flags have 50 stars on them. Oops! And I was like, because I, I was looking very closely I at the arrangement 50- of stars. It's like...
1: 48 was when yeah, uh, Hawaii or Alaska joined?
0: Yeah, it's 40 or 49. Um, but uh, yeah, and in the year 1912, there were two different styles of american flag Mm -hmm. Uh, this is neither neither of them
2: (laughs) i wanted them to just like punch in real quick on each star with numbers one two three four five and then when he gets the 50s like oh shit
0: (laughs) he's counting
1: them and (laughs) And then he realizes
2: (laughs) instead of just looking at the configuration and being like that's clearly a 50 star flag (laughs) like what you did uh elise notices him on the patio from the lawn in front of the hotel and races to him and they kiss passionately
1: I'm you. Oh, never, never,
2: never, never. We cut to that night. She lets her hair down and they sleep together in her hotel room, which I guess she rebooked. This is where I assumed that she would become impregnated with Miss Roberts, who mm-hmm. writes the story that leads them to each other. The next morning, they eat a platter of room service on the floor of her room. She basically proposes to him here and it catches him off guard, but he's not averse to the idea.
1: You will marry me, won't you? <coughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. you
0: won't? <laughs> sure i was just laughing at the
2: way you asked this off she tells him that they need to buy him a new suit because his is at least 15 years out of fashion at least it's 15 years in the right direction or people would have thought he was really weird (laughs) like he's walking around the hotel in a zoot suit or something (laughs) Uh, he's showing off all the features of the old suit including a coin pocket for emergencies when he accidentally slips out a penny and we zoom into an extreme close-up of the coin to see that it's from 1979 and immediately Richard is collapsing and Elise is screaming his name terrified. I I the goosebumps are coming back right yeah, now. Because it's, it's such a terrifying moment. Richard!
1: Richard! Richard! Richard!
0: Richard!
2: Yeah. Like I can feel it in my joints yeah, right like
0: now. Like he's like being pulled away, and we can only imagine like from her perspective he's like getting pulled through some kind of void it's yeah, like the
2: yeah.
1: poltergeist house mm-hmm. is just folding in on it yeah has got some spectification happening here yeah
2: but it's her screaming is so shrill and it feels so genuine and terrifying mm-hmm. that it just like cuts to your bones
0: but but perhaps his semen also traveled oh maybe <laughs> if he traveled back every part of him all of his also...
2: genetic material does that include like every dump he's taken yeah <laughs>
1: It's just a room I full think of once crap. you
2: once you ejaculate, Shit's that's not a part flying of you anymore.
1: Through the room, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's like a feces Jumanji. <laughs> I was just gonna say that. Oh <laughs> uh, no, no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, he's drifting backwards. <laughs> oh god, he. <laughs> He's drifting backward into tunnel vision away from her into blackness and her screams are legit terrifying here. It's on par with the famous moment in the 1978 Body Snatchers and I think it works really well because of the editing. They barely give you any time to register what's happening and it's going so fast and so abruptly that you're completely out of control. Even as the observer you're like, oh god, what, no, stop, don't do this right now. Uh, He wakes up sweating on the floor of a different room than the one he left the future from, I think. So now he's in her room. Which was 117. 117. yeah. So he's waking up in 117, which makes me think that his body has been walking around the hotel and talking to nothing like the sixth sense this whole time. Or like us. Or like us. That doesn't... Because he's in a different room.
1: Is he? Are you sure that he's not in the room? Yes, because he gets out of the room
2: and goes back to his room.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. And he's
2: behind the couch exactly where he collapsed in her room.
1: Okay. So, but it seems like his body has been around. I don't know. So where has it been?
2: I think he's been walking around the hotel talking to invisible people the whole time, or he I, literally I disappears when he during, hypnotizes himself back in time. I want to see him during reappear. the
1: carriage scene, like just floating through space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the well, that, they do
2: that joke because, like, that's the that's part of the problem that people have with the sixth sense, where there's like stuff that he couldn't have been doing mm-hmm. if he wasn't corporeal. But then they do that joke in that clone high episode. Where he realizes that Doug Prep Course wasn't real, and so then like it just shows Gandhi like hovering over the freeway because <laughs> he never got a ride from this ghost truck driver in real life. But yeah, that's basically what's going on. Is that I think he was literally walking around the hotel talking to nobody, or his body completely disappeared into the past and then reappeared in this room.
1: Mm-hmm. I would argue that that one is not the case.
2: I think it's, that has to be the case.
1: I don't think it is though, because I mean we're about to get to it but when they find him they say the maid said he's been in here for days and it looks like he hasn't eaten in a week so right, my right that's presumption, a week
2: after he gets back is yeah. it yes yeah, yeah.
0: cuz he he because he leaves that room and goes wandering around yeah so he wakes up sweating on the
2: floor he's in he's in 117 now mm-hmm. and he's just drenched in sweat but there's pictures hanging on the walls so this isn't the room that he left uh from the future and he's reduced to tears shouting no no because he just lost her and he races back to his own room where he's hyperventilating and he lays down and he's trying to send him back 1912 1912 but it's no use he he can't summon it back this time june 29th 1912 june 29th 1912 i'm back please please uh he walks back down to the present day beach where they took their walk that day and now it's littered with garbage because it's closer to now uh he and he looks again at the portrait in the lobby even touching the face of it with his hands Mm -hmm. and i expected somewhere along the line we'd get an explanation of that nameplate here but it doesn't happen uh the next day we see him looking out his window at the lighthouse and his eyes are so bloodshot from crying that he almost looks like a zombie but i think he literally spent this whole week mourning her disappearance and starving himself and that's why he's like collapsing basically i assume that if he attempted hypnosis again once he's calmed down and had something to eat that he might have better results but something tells me he's not going to do that in the same way that the avengers won't ever use their time machine in the future of the mcu right they're just going to be like i forget that we invented that thing now we need some way to save the day which Uh, is
0: why i'm done with the marvel universe yeah pretty much
2: (laughs) arthur and another hotel employee bust into the room and move richard to the bed they call a doctor and richard is getting paler by the second and sweatier here as they're inspecting him the doctor suggests that he may not have eaten anything in as much as a week Uh, arthur and the doctor try to keep him conscious but in richard's pov we're floating upwards past them toward the ceiling and we spin around to see his body in the bed and then the window of the room starts to glow really bright And suddenly we're on an empty white stage and the window is replaced with Elise in her dress from the show with an arm outstretched waiting for him in almost the exact same pose that Leonardo DiCaprio has when Rose finally dies and meets him in heaven. Mm. There's so much Titanic in this movie. Like the the music fits it really well there there's this woman from the past who has this guardian that's trying to keep her away from this other man mm-hmm. and there's this you know this that's just totem that's, that's just changing 1912 hands. for you yeah exactly and yeah, time, it's, it's time traveling year. jewelry um <laughs> but they hold hands for a while and then we fade up to white for the credits and that's the end of our film but yeah i think uh th- there's two options here one is that he's walking around this hotel talking to invisible people which seems wrong it seems like they don't want to imply that that happened
0: yeah how long how long was he in the past at least
1: a A couple couple of days a couple of
0: days yeah so yeah so i mean something would have prevented him something because he wouldn't have been able to get into those rooms
1: but he 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 went around the same hotel, so in theory, when he exited the room he was in in the past, he exited the room he was in in the future, and so everywhere he went. So, every time how he did knocks he knocks on into the door? He's like, seven "Is seven Elise eight.
2: McKenna here?" And it's the person in the present saying, "No, what are you talking about? Who are you?" And then he just pushes into the room and starts talking to an invisible Elise McKenna. He would have been yeah. arrested.
1: I guess. I mean, if the room was occupied, I guess it might have been locked. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just saying. I mean, if I think, it, yeah, if it wasn't occupied, I'm just it saying. Open. I don't think that time travel it at all i think that this whole thing like you said is a hypnosis and he just made this whole thing up in his brain
2: but he lost the watch in the past
1: we don't know that he wakes up and he's half dead
2: that's true he doesn't he doesn't like show us all of his empty pockets like mm-hmm. a magician <laughs> like, <laughs> look at <it>, nothing <laughs> uh, no, oh shit a coin out. and then he just goes to a 2018 time. <laughs> somehow oh i forgot i was posing at the beginning um But yeah, if the implication is not that he literally vanished to go back in time, then he was talking to invisible people for this whole 48-hour period. And if he is vanishing to go back in time, Mm -hmm. then I think the world works. I think the story makes sense as long as he's literally disappearing to go into the past. But otherwise, he would have died eventually anyway Yeah, because he couldn't have lived for more than a week and a half with her without starving to death. Right. Unless people are like like Arthur's just tucking food into his mouth and talking to invisible people.
1: I recognize you. Here's some cheese.
2: Oh, thanks for giving my, my ball back. Here's a French fry. That's probably what happened.
0: Yeah. I. But you you said it earlier. I don't understand why he doesn't try again.
2: Yeah. Just get a burger or something. Calm down. Yeah. Put that fucking penny away and yeah. go back to 1912 or earlier. You could have saved the Titanic. But instead you're like, no, I want to ruin this lady's career. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Or because I think it could have been interesting, had he tried to go back and went back too far. But now he's the Robinson character, like yeah. well, something.
1: Or, or years have gone by, yeah. and, and until he is successful again, and it, he brought himself back from from near death, he tries again many years in the future. And you know, like old Rose, she's moved on. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I I already had kids and stuff.
2: What if when he was in the past, he lo- he remembered his pocket, and he knew there was a coin in there, but he didn't look at it. Mm -hmm. Would he stay in that year?
0: I would say... mm, He would stay in the past? I would... Because he's not seeing it directly. He's not seeing it directly. Yeah, because he thinks thinks about the future all the time. Schrodinger's cat. I mean, like, he knows there's a coin in there, but he can't be for certain certain what, what year the coin is from. Right.
2: So he wouldn't, I don't think, go into the future. Yeah. But what if he took that coin, blindfolded, and then gave it to Robinson as a test to see if he's from the future. And Robinson just And then, just then just when Robinson like looks at him, he's like. Whoa! And he just starts vomiting blood and vanishes.
0: Because <laughs> that's what happened. He just turns inside out. His yeah. whole mouth just opens up. Yeah, and he's it's just like, like a
2: Ron Silver mess of just <laughs> twisted body parts.
0: <laughs> just a just total Cronenberg.
2: Yeah. So maybe that's what happens. <laughs> that's definitely what happened in this movie.
1: I think we're probably making all those lovely people that go to this hotel every year and dress up very angry i'm sure they've all had this discussion
2: (laughs) they're like yeah shit jumanji that makes sense (laughs) trying to think of any other paradoxes or conundrums that i came up with that's why time travel was fun
1: (laughs) you're less upset about this one which is good
2: yeah because i'm i'm comfortable with saying that at one point this watch was a gift from one of them to the other one and that they're not actually in a perfect loop they're in a loop where the watch is aging and will eventually fall apart mm-hmm. but we're just seeing a part of it where it hasn't done that yet
1: yeah this is the first instance of the yeah. loop, perhaps
2: but in the final countdown there's no branch that leads to them hitting that portal at the right time unless they left two days later no, no, i get i get what you're saying
1: yeah, yeah we don't have to go there (laughs) i'm just saying
2: that the the difference between me being able to explain that branch and me not being able to explain it is what makes
0: this okay i get it i i think that i would have been a little bit better with the ending of this movie had he still died from this but it was because of the strain like, because it was so exhausting to travel back and then coming back yeah. in such a matter, it just... He, it he just instantly
1: died. As yeah. yeah,
2: because to that other guy was exhausted from a half second.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That makes more sense than, wait, than having him walk around and... and just
0: let himself die.
1: Lo- lo- yeah, lose himself in this.
2: Or what if it just, you know, well, I guess it, it takes something away if it had just been a week and he was dying of starvation because then it's like the coin doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And you're not actually interrupting what could have been a possible romance because he could not have he stayed couldn't in the have
1: past. stayed there any longer,
2: unless he had like an IV drip. He's he's essentially like he's in a deep dive, like VR program.
1: Yeah, we needed to matrix this where yeah. he's you know being plugged in. So he needs to supplement him. Yeah,
0: because at what point would he see something that would remind him? What if someone like drew something that exi- that you know, like like they were trying to predict like da vinci's tank or something like that, uh, that what if that, what that, if he lived
2: in the past all the way to 1979 like at what and point he's he like ah and then he <laughs> turned back into his young self in 1979
1: yeah it was, well that was going to be my next question <laughs> at what point if he did live through this would he end up seeing something that would draw him back to the future like where is right. your cutoff
2: mm-hmm. but so in so so let's talk about and i haven't read the book let's talk about the time between 1912 and 1980 so in 1912 he gets sucked into a wormhole right Mm -hmm. in front of her and she's losing her shit about it and she can't explain it and she's traumatized for life she still tries to act but she's not anywhere near as good as she used to be um and she has to have this baby on her own and raise it on her own probably with mr robinson and uh she hears this song in 1934 and goes okay i've heard this song before where have i heard it before this is the song that he was humming is that guy did that guy rip off richard's song and then you know she does her research and figures out he no, didn't because rip it because he off. tells
1: her what it is, and she's like, because
2: oh, he says it's he Rachmaninoff? says it's
1: he says it's Rachmaninoff. Yeah, and he Rachmaninoff does. was around at that time. Oh yeah, and she says, I've and heard she's I heard like, his music, I, and I, I heard, heard his that music, one. but she hasn't heard this one. Mm-hmm. So when she hears that one in the future, she's like, that's weird. He knew about it before it existed. Therefore, right. he was a time traveler. So that crazy shit that I saw go down was time travel.
2: So she probably went to. I mean, she's a famous actress of stage and screen. She could have gotten in touch with Rachmaninoff and said, "When did you write this song?" Because mm-hmm. I thought someone sang me this twenty something years ago. Yeah. Says this is fresh. I just wrote this, and so she's.
1: So from that point on. She's confident she's, that he's a time traveler. She's always looking for him. Right. She is. She is always trying to find when he was from.
0: Yes. He must have said something about Melfield College.
2: I don't think so. I think she read every newspaper of everywhere she knew, to look for his name. And she knew, she knew his Collier.
1: name. She knew his occupation. Mm. Uh, and, and
2: so she was like, anyone tell me if you ever hear about a playwright named Richard Collier. And the first time it came up was at the premiere of his first play. Mm-hmm. Right. And so she was like, I'm going to be there that night and see if it's the right guy. And she's just lucky that their lives overlapped at all. And that they happen to overlap in that twenty-four hour period, and then what did she die because her purpose was done, or did they literally like flip that car on the way home? Like, no, maybe, she gets, no, she gets she gets, gets home.
1: home. She talks to the lady who oh, you true. suspect is yeah. her daughter. And she goes she, into a room to die.
2: She listens <laughs> to the music and then jumps out the window.
0: See, I would say granddaughter, because her, granddaughter. her daughter yeah, would yeah. be seventy at least. But yeah.
2: also, the actress who's playing the the older version of Elise was born in nineteen twelve, mm. <laughs> so she would be zero in nineteen twelve. Yeah which is a problem we talked about with uh, raise the titanic because obi-wan would have been too young Mm -hmm. to work on the titanic
1: just like the actual titanic movie
2: yeah and rose i think we said was like one
1: she was a couple years younger than (laughs) when the titanic sank
2: our director here was Jano swark Uh, he has mostly tv before this but this came directly after his first huge feature jaws 2 and he followed it up with supergirl And Santa Claus the movie, not the Tim Allen one, but the David Huddleston one Mm -hmm. that has uh, Arthur in it, uh, in 1985. By Arthur, I mean Dudley Moore. Uh, And he moved back into TV for episodes of Ally McBeal, The Practice, Jag, Heroes, Smallville, Fringe, Supernatural, Bones, Grey's Anatomy, lots of stuff. Writer, novelist Richard Matheson played the Astonished Man in 1912 when uh, Richard comes out of the room with all the paper on his face richard matheson also wrote the script for jaws 3d and he wrote i am legend which was adapted first into the last man on earth and then every reboot since then Oh, the omega so, man was another one yeah the omega man was was after the vincent price last man on earth and then you had uh will smith and then i think there's more after that even uh he also wrote the incredible shrinking man pit and the pendulum 14 twilight zone episodes from the original series one og star trek and duel he wrote the tv movie duel that mm. spielberg directed the music here was from john barry who obviously did the music for raise the titanic also 1912 time travel. stuff uh no time travel in that one technically oh sorry <laughs> My brain. they're both ships <laughs> sorry uh but he also obviously did the iconic james bond theme uh he did he composed music for they might be giants not the band but the movie day of the locust <laughs> not the movie but the band no there's no band called that and star crash and we'll have him later this year for touched by love and inside moves christopher reeve was richard collier he's best known for his multiple appearances as superman was he also in supergirl for like a cameo
0: or um something? they mentioned him and i think there's a poster of him
2: oh, okay but we don't actually yeah. deal with him the actor uh he was famously left quadriplegic after being thrown from a horse during an equestrian competition
1: which really bothered me in this movie when we had the moments where he's collapsing and he's just so frail, and they're p- p- picking him up onto the bed. And yeah. I was just getting flashes to the future.
2: Um, after his accident, he actually returned to the Superman universe to play Dr. Virgil Swan opposite Tom Welling's Superman in a few episodes of Smallville. Jane Seymour was Elise McKenna. She's solitaire and live and let die. She's Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, Kitty Cat, and Wedding Crashers. She just recently wrapped an appearance in a TV series pilot for a show called. The hypnotist's love story, which I feel like describes this film rather well. (laughs) And we just had her as Jackie in Oh Heavenly Dog. Christopher Plummer was William Fawcett Robinson. He played Captain Von Trapp in The Sound of Music. He's Raymond Swan in Inside Daisy Clover. He's Rudyard Kipling in The Man Who Would Be King, The Emperor, and Star Crash. We'll see him next in Eyewitness next year. And he was Hal in Beginners, which I love. And actually, before seeing this movie, I didn't realize how much a young Christopher Plummer resembles ewan mcgregor yeah but they play father and son in that movie and they're phenomenal together but yeah. um I, I, when i was watching this movie i was like it's the same eyes it's the same nose they have the same eyebrow shape it's great
1: i you um, were pointing out how how old he is in this movie yeah he doesn't
2: is, he's 50 in this movie
1: which is amazing he looks amazing for 50 right
2: and now he's 80 and he looks great for he's 80 still, or no now he's, now he's, 90. He?
1: he's 90 he's 90
2: now he's 90 years old mm-hmm. he does not look that old the woman who plays his mother in Knives Out is like six years younger than him.
0: Yeah. And he was good in Knives Out.
2: He's great. He's also Dr. Parnassus in the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Teresa Wright was Laura Roberts. She won a Best Supporting Actress Oscar for her role as Carol Belden in Mrs. Miniver, which we talked about in our previous review. She was nominated the same year as the lead in Pride of the Yankees, and she has another Best Supporting Actress nomination for Little Foxes. Bill Irwin played Arthur Beale. He plays the man in the airport in Home Alone. That's the one who uh, gets tickets for Mm -hmm. uh, Mrs. McAllister. She's got
0: earrings at home. Little dangly ones. (laughs) (laughs) I Um,
1: recognized him immediately, but I couldn't quite place it, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, in the airport.
2: (laughs) And he's also on a plane in another John Hughes movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. William H. Macy, we said, was a theater critic. He's just in that one shot, and he would go on to play whiz kid Donnie Smith in Paul Thomas Sanderson's magnolia and a couple other paul thomas anderson movies um he's bill in boogie nights um and he's also jerry lendegaard in fargo he's frank gallagher on the series shameless and he's in jurassic park 3 george went was in here actually he wasn't in here he was supposed to be in here they filmed him he played a student either in that first show or when uh, Richard goes to meet with the professor as a as a student at the school, but his scenes were deleted. We've had him previously this year for Bronco Billy and My Bodyguard so far.
0: I wanted to mention Don Franklin, who is just credited as tourist in Hall of History, which I did not see him. Um, Hall of History, okay. Yeah, and I was like Don Franklin, I know him, and as I looked him up, I was like, oh, of course he was on Sequest. Oh, okay, <laughs> he was, he yeah. He was one of like the the through the through characters on Sequest because. Uh, um and then he was on this other interesting series called seven days it was a time travel series oh okay um uh, i don't know if you remember the pitch of it it was essentially like it's a lot like source code where in the sense that something happens and they send this they send him back in time to try to fix it
2: okay um, and he goes back seven days yeah he, it was a series so they, they a, do this repeatedly yeah so it's kind of like early edition but it's seven days instead of one day correct okay
0: but uh, that was it I, and i didn't see him uh so it but he's in the hall of history a lot and sometimes there's people standing around but uh just thought it wasn't interesting yeah I, I just knew him from i watched sequest like crazy there you
2: go i apologize for skipping over anyone from sequest letterboxed uh well let's do up or down first this is an up for me richard
0: oh yeah definitely an up uh i had not seen it before uh i know that my mom loves it so i can't wait to talk to her because she's gonna be so happy that i watched it because um, <laughs> she does not recognize half the movies obviously that we talk about uh yeah I, I i enjoyed it
1: yeah it's an up for me i i liked it it is in the chunk of movies that i would definitely rewatch at any point if you asked me to
0: all right
2: Letterboxed, richard what are you thinking for this one
0: um i'm putting this at number 26 Okay. So it's pretty high. Um, it's going to go just below Tom Horn and just above Xanadu.
2: Okay. Jess.
1: I am thinking because I had it a little bit lower, but I don't really have any problems with this movie. I mean, there's there's questions, but sure. I don't have problems with it. I think it's going to go at 59. Okay. I really liked it, but yep. it's um, – it's not something that I would actively like watch like watch again like on my own. Sure. So it's sort of at the bottom of the list of movies that if you if you're like yeah you want to go watch a movie like watch this one I'm like yeah sure I would I wouldn't refuse it but it's not it's not high on my list.
2: Yeah. Do you want to watch it right now?
1: Yeah, all right. Okay. I just I just, I was just, wa- I just it. watched it. I are just testing <laughs> you though, and you
2: you did good. Um, for me, it's actually in sixty eighth, which I did like it. Um, but for me. It goes in 68th, which is just under Xanadu and just above The Man with Bogart's Face.
1: Oh, I didn't give my surrounding movies. Oh, sorry. Um, 59 is just below Saturn 3 and just above Gloria. Okay.
2: I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com please consider rating us on itunes to help people find the show and if you take the time to leave us a review we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode if you're feeling especially generous you can also support the show through patreon.com vintage video podcast thank you so much for listening and i hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing terror train which imdb describes like so three years after a prank that went terribly awry the six college students responsible are targeted by a masked killer at a new year's eve party aboard a moving train We leave you now with a trailer for Terror Training.
1: Oh my God! Stay with your date.
2: Yeah. I don't want to get back on
0: that track. let stand here! right here. Stand here! Nobody does! Help! Please! Nice gag. Oh, help! Somebody help me! Help! You'll die. Watch me this temperature. You, you'll die. No! No! Come on! No!
1: For the students aboard, it's going to be the one party to end them all.
0: They're always walking out of my parties. But this time, you can't.
1: My last big college party. It's a joke. A goddamn practical
0: joke. Uh, train.
2: I don't want to get back on that